Well, if you've, if you've got your Bible, turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter, we're going to, I'm surprised, right? 2 Peter, really? This is astounding that we would be in 2 Peter. Uh, we're, we're in verse 7 of chapter 1, and, and just to remind us of where we've been, because we took a, a week off uh, to talk about all the sad things about Christmas. Um, we're now, we're at the end of this list that starts Second Peter, this, this list that, okay, so, so Second Peter starts with this, this focus on God graciously saving us, on all that God has done, that he has given us faith. Remember, as if by lot, that, that it's not faith, faith is not our work, that he has gifted us everything we need for life and godliness, or as we said, godwardness, that he's gifted us his precious and very great promises so that we are partakers of the divine nature and no longer enslaved to this corrupt world with its sinful desires, all that that God has done for us. We did all that. Now, starting in verse five, we see this, how we're supposed to respond to that. So if God's done all these great things for us, how do we respond? Do we just do nothing, right? This has all been God's work. And so we just continue to, it's all just his work. You just do nothing. God's going to do it. Uh, Or what does God say? If I've done this for you, this is how you respond to a God who has so graciously given you life. Given as Zachary prayed, and as we read last week in Ezekiel, given life to your very dry bones. Uh, and we've seen all that Peter said. We, we speedily or, or, or quickly get to work doing these things in verse 5, this list of, 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 of things that dance with our faith. Remember that word supplement is the word choreography, which is just an interesting word picture to picture all this list like dancing with faith to a pretty cool tune, I'm sure. Uh, but to get these things dancing with our faith, we see excellence, we see knowledge, Discipline, faithful endurance, Godwardness, a familial love for one another. Those are all the things that we've looked at now for these last several weeks. All these things that are supposed to be coming out of faith, genuine faith. These are the things if God's brought you faith. This is what he wants to see in your life. So seek these things. So just even before we get to that list, as you're looking through and seeing verses 5 and 6 and 7, how many of those things have you then spent the last, I mean, you're like, we've been in this list for a while. All right, we've been in this list for a while. How much better is your life at doing those things? How much more is your life a pursuit of excellence? How much more knowledge are you seeking after now? Now that God has given you this faith, you're like, I got to know more about this God. Or is your desire for knowledge still the same? How about discipline? Are you more self-controlled as a Christian? Or are you just doing what you want? Is your life a disciplined Christian life because God has saved you? The faithful endurance that we saw. How are you at faithfully enduring because God has saved you? The Godwardness. Is your life more Godward because of what God has done for you? Could you say your life is more Godward now than it was before because you've seen now God calling you to be Godward? So you're looking at your life and saying, I'm making sure everything in my life is pointed toward Him. Family love. Do you love this church body as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers? Or are they just more people in your life? We've been in this list a long time, but I think... If you're anything like me, sometimes you go, maybe we should start over again. (laughs) Maybe the second time through, we'll get it. Because there's a lot in this list 
But God does give you the list. He does give you everything you need to do this list. So the question is, if you look at those, set, those things that we've looked at, those first six things, how many of them are dancing now in your life more than they were before we started looking at this text? And then he ends this list. And that's where right now we're getting to the end of this list. And that's why. So, I mean, I was looking at this and I was thinking, oh, we're, we're done with the list. And I went, oh, my goodness, we're done with this list. And now we're going to move on. And we've got this great list that God has given us. And I pray we're not just sort of holding on till we can get past the list and get to other things. That list was too convicting. There's too many things that when I look at that, I go, nope, don't have that, don't have that, don't have that. I might kind of have that one. Let's focus on that one. I pray that this list sort of dances around in your own head. And this is what God is working in you and and what you should pursue uh, in your own life. And so now this list is going to end, like we said last week, with the importance of love. So let's read the passage again and see how he ends this in in verse 7 with love. And then we'll continue on uh, next week. Uh, So let's stand in the honor of reading God's word. God has been so gracious as to give us his word. And we want to make sure, though, that we're not just a people who stands with our feet and, and don't stand with our hearts, right? That we are, we are saying, God, this is a blessing. I will hear it. I will treasure it. And I will obey it. Uh, and so let, let's, let's do that. Starting in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we will have been faithful children of yours in these last weeks. That as we see what our great God who has given us faith, And given us everything we need for life and godliness. Who has rescued us from this corrupt world with its sinful desires. And that God says, now this is how you live. God, I pray we haven't just taken the salvation. And not cherished it by longing to be obedient to what that God says. I pray, Father, that we would write this list on papers and and books throughout our house so that God, we might see these things over and over until they are rock solid in our, in our hearts and in our lives. I pray that we would cherish the God who has saved us by living for the God who has saved us. So, Father, please help us to do that. And I pray that today is just another week of your spirit doing that exact thing. Teaching us your word. And then teaching us and causing us to obey it. Father, may we make every effort to work at our salvation, knowing, God, that it is you who gives us the will and the work for your good pleasure. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we are, the last thing in this list, the end of the list, he says, and brotherly affection with love. Brotherly affection with 
love. And, and like we said uh, last week, love is important in a lot of lists of, of what Christians should be in the New Testament. It, it is in almost every, because you got several of these lists, you know, be this and this and this and, this and to, to these different churches, these things that you could sort of all combine together. But, but love is in almost every one of those lists. And it often is sitting in a special place in those lists. So, for example, in Galatians 5, with the fruits of the Spirit, it is love that begins the list in the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, In Colossians chapter 3, in the things that they're to put off and put on, as we're going to see in just a second, love is the thing that ends the list there. But, but in either way, you can see, either whether it's the front or the back, love is often given a, a special place. And, but, but why? Why is love such an important virtue for the Christian to have? Why is love, what, what's, what's the big deal with love, really? Why is it so important? Why does the New Testament focus so much on the importance of love for the believer? One The first thing is love is the most important trait for the believer to put on. Now, it's not the only trait, right? But the Bible is going to say that love is very important, that it is, if not the most important virtue for the Christian to have is to have love. Now, because the New Testament speaks of love in a way it doesn't speak of any other virtue like that. It is certainly on par with something like holiness, right? There are actually more commands in the New Testament to love than there are commands to be holy. And the only way you can get there to be more commands to be holy in the New Testament is if you include the ones that say greet each other with a holy kiss. And we normally ignore that one. Uh, It is certainly, and it's hard. Listen, I'm a holiness guy, not like a Pentecostal holiness guy, but like I'm a, I'm a holiness person. I love like R.C. Sproul's, uh, the holiness of God was a book that changed my life. But the Bible is clear that Christian love is of supreme importance in the life of the believer in ways that it does not talk about any other Christian virtue. And that's very clear. So Colossians chapter 3, we see this, for example. Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. And above all these. So you've got this list. This list of things that the believers should do, that they should put off this stuff and put on these traits instead as believers. And he says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, you've got, the, 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 you've got this important list in Colossians chapter 3. Put off this, put on this. And at the start of this list, Paul's mentioned some pretty important things. He's mentioned compassion, kindness. So put on these things, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiveness. Pretty important things for the believer to have. Things the believer must have. Very similar to what Peter's mentioned. Very similar. But he says the most important thing for the believer to put on is love. That it is love, he says, that binds all these other traits and characteristics together. That if you put on all these others, but don't put on love, it's like trying to hold all these together without glue. Because it's love that binds everything together. 
Think about about what God is, is saying in this passage about how important love is. God says that it is love that binds everything together, that binds together all that the Christians are supposed to put on. He says, look, you're putting off this, you put on this, the most important thing above all these, put on love. But that idea that love is the most important trait for the Christian, uh, for them to put on, is not new. The importance of love is highlighted in other passages like in 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now you get this list about love and the things that they should pursue and the fact that love never ends. And he says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But then what does he say? But the greatest of these is love. So again, you've got this list of three great Christian truths, three great Christian traits. Have faith, be a people of hope, be a people who love things that that don't pass away. Remember in 1 Corinthians, things that don't pass away, like all the other things that pass away. He said, these things remain. Faith, hope, and love, they remain. They don't pass away. Tongues pass away, faith, or uh, prophecy pass away, all that. But faith, hope, and love, they don't pass away. And then he makes the point of saying, but the greatest of these even, the greatest of the great is love. Love is the greatest pursuit of the Christian life. It is certainly not the only pursuit, but it is the one that the Bible says you should seek above all. It is the thing that is going to bind everything else together that if you pursue all the other things but don't pursue love it's going to be like a juggling act i don't know if you've ever struggled with love or you've ever pursued these other things first it's like trying to get them all sort of working and you feel like you'll get one down then you'll focus on another christian trait and you're doing that and then you notice this one is falling to the ground and because it is love that is binding those things together So above all, you should put on love. It is a supreme trait for the Christian to have in their life is to be a people of love. That when you pray as a Christian, you should pray and seek to be a more loving Christian. If you're like, I want to grow in my Christian faith, the first thing you've got to make sure that you have and that you understand is that you are a person who loves, that you love the Lord your God, you love, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, because that love is going to be essential for everything else. Okay, so it is a supreme importance. So if you're looking back at this list, this would be a list that you start at the end and work backwards. Right? You don't start at the beginning one and get all these in and then try to get love. Because if you do that, then you're going to get it in and go, ah! Oh! And maybe if in the past few weeks you've struggled with getting some of these things, maybe now you're seeing it's because you've been trying to get these things, but not with the love that is going to, as Colossians says, bind all these things together in perfect harmony. In fact, the Bible says that without love, the rest of your Christian life isn't just not going to work. Without love, the rest of your Christian life is worthless. In other words, if you even got the rest of the list, if you got the other six things and you're doing them pretty well and you're more God right now, we can talk about whether or not that's actually happening without love, right? You might feel like, oh, I'm very much Godward, but I hate everybody. Uh, That's not a crazy thing to think. First John talks about people who think that. Uh, So you might think everything's going great, but he says, look, if, if you've got all these other things and you don't have love, you've got nothing. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. The start of 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, 
if I speak in the tongues of men, and remember, he does this superlative thing. He says, you think you've got a really good gift? Let me say you have an even better gift than you think you've got. Without love, it's not going to matter. So he says, if, you, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, you think you've got the gift of prophecy. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand Let's say you understand, you know so much Bible, you understand all the mysteries. You can take out Deuteronomy, the first part of Deuteronomy 29, 29 in your Bible, right? You've got it all figured out. And you've got all knowledge. And he says, and if I have all faith, how much faith? How much faith are you talking about, Paul? All of it, all the faiths, I've got it. So as... To remove mountains. But have not love. I am nothing. If I give away all that I have. And if I deliver up my body to be burned. But have not love. I gain nothing. I love this passage because it highlights many of our favorite sort of hobby horses in our Christian lives. And they've always been favorite hobby horses for Christians. Things that we'll be good at and think, I'm a great Christian because I'm good at this thing. Right? So, so for some of us, we, we, we like to pursue and be good at these things. Things that make us feel mature as a believer. Like, we get it. Paul says, you can be the best at these things. But if you don't love, that's not going to matter. So, so you can be the most gifted speaker in the world. You can have all the knowledge of the Bible. You can be a model of faith. You can give and give to the church and to people. You can give up your own life. But if you don't love, don't love God, don't love others. God says, you've got nothing. Even more, he says, you are nothing. Think about that. Greatest preacher in the world without love is a worthless preacher. The greatest theologian in the world, the person who knows the most Bible in the world but doesn't have love, is a worthless theologian. Worthless. He even says you can have worthless martyrs. You can give up your body to be burned, but if you don't love it, don't matter. Think about that. You can die. But if you're dying, giving up your body to be burned even, but don't have love, nothing. You've gained nothing. If you are any of those things without love. It is pretty clear that God is trying to say love is kind of important. Pretty clear from that passage. He's like, look, if you can do, if you've got all these things and I don't care, you can go, I can go beyond what you've got. And if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. So if you're going, yeah, I'm, I struggle with love, but I'm really good at this. He says, it doesn't matter. Get the love. That's just not what I'm good at. I'm really good at theology, but loving people is hard. Get love or you're a worthless theologian. I'm really good at speaking, but then I don't so much like the people. You know, like I like to preach and then I want to go home, which is actually what I want to do. Uh, but, uh, but, but not because I don't love you. Uh, but if, if you're, he says, look, you can, you can even give up everything. I just, 
I just want to give to God. Maybe you just think, I'll just give away money and that's going to make God happy. He says, you could give away your life and if you don't love people, you don't love God. If it's not driven by love, then it's worthless. Your life would be worthless burning on that stake if it's not there because of love. Calvin says that without love, none of your other Christian pursuits matter. He says they are, and I thought this was a perfect quote for Christmas time. He said they are mere tinsel in your life. And that they are in fact not good, but in the way only Calvin can say, they are rather offensive and disgusting to God. Because he says they would be false pursuits. What value is good speaking if not for love's sake? Why are you wanting knowledge if not from love for God? Think about it. If you're not doing this because you love God and love what God has done for you, maybe you're just doing it so people think you're smart. Or maybe you're doing it so you can have power in the church. Maybe you're giving money so you can have an influence in the church community and they'll have to do what you say. And then you're doing any of those things not out of love for God. He says, what are you doing them for? Of course they're worthless. If you're getting up and speaking, but not because you love God and you love your fellow brothers and sisters, of course you're wasting your time. It would mean that those are just personal pursuits. And so, so with this list, without love, you think about it. Love is going to drive all these things. Without love, you won't excel. You're not going to desire to excel as a Christian if you don't love God. Why would you want to be excellent in your Christian life if not out of love for God? You're not going to seek knowledge to really know him if you don't love him. You won't be disciplined. You won't faithfully endure to the end. You'll give up. You'll give up. Why? Because you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for you. And so when it becomes hard for you, you quit. But if you're doing it for him, for him who, who, who did endure to the end, then it's not crazy for you to endure to the end, to take whatever cross he throws your way and bear it and bear it faithfully. Why? Because that's what he did and you love him. You won't be Godward because you don't care about God. You care about you. You're you-ward. And you won't love the church like family. Or if you do any of those things, it'll all be fake or selfish. It'll all just be tinsel. Tinsel on your pretty little tree of a life that you just want people to think looks great. And if knowledge makes you look great, you'll pursue some Bible knowledge. Because you being smart at the Bible makes people think you're great. Being a good speaker, you'll try to be able to be as eloquent as you can be. Being all those things because it's good for you instead of out of a love for God. So of course, what God says in 1 Corinthians 13 makes sense. And what he says in Colossians 3 makes sense. That's why love is such an important part of this list. Because without love, all of those things would be for nothing it is love that spurs everything in this list and without love nothing else in the list matters uh in fact i would say with first corinthians if you don't have love like i said i don't think you can have anything else on this list i don't think it's possible we could get into that debate but i'll be home uh 
Love is the supreme quality that should be dancing with our faith, just as all of the other things in this list. And so you can see how faith and love work together. All of these things in this list are an outworking of the faith that God has given us. They are dancing with faith in the same way. This is sort of a bookend thing here. In the same way, they are all an outworking of Christian love. It is love that breeds excellence. It is love that causes you to desire to know God. It is love that forges you to be disciplined for God. God's sake. It is love that perseveres through anything. It is love that fixes our eyes on the God who we find most glorious. It is love that flows into loving others. In fact, it is God that speaks of love in these pretty harsh terms where he can say, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. I don't care if you, I don't care if you remove mountains because of your faith. And what he's saying is, yeah, you won't have that if you don't have love. You won't be doing that. I don't care if you're the greatest speaker. In the world. I don't care if you can speak in the tongues of angels. Or when you open your mouth, it's like, you know, something like that. I don't, I don't care. You know, where people are like falling down at your great speaking ability. You don't have love, you're worthless. You're worthless. Love is that important for the believer. And so as we end this list, we've got to recognize the importance biblically of this last thing. The importance of it just practically as well, too. If you're going to try and do all these other things without love, it's not, they're not going to be bound together. It's love that holds all these things together. This is why Colossians says you put this on above all else because love is that important. The next thing we see is love is how we are like God. Love is the best way for us to imitate our Heavenly Father. In fact, the Bible says this over and over. Now, we know from 1 Peter that another way you imitate your Heavenly Father is through what? Holiness. Be holy for I am holy. But one of the things God says as well uh, is that in loving, we are most like God. We imitate God in our love. Uh, It's the best way for us to be godly. We talked about the difference between God word and godly and and why I think godliness and godly is probably a bad translation of, of those passages or those verses in your Bible. The word godly implies being like something, being like God. Well, love is one of the ways you actually can be godly. I think that's a good translation there. That you can be godly, that you can be like God, is to love. Along with holiness, like we said, love is mentioned specifically. One of the few things it's mentioned specifically, that if you are a child of God, this is something you must possess if you're going to imitate your heavenly father. So, for example, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And what do we do? How do we imitate God? How are we imitators of God? And walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To love is to imitate God, to live like one of his children. It is to imitate Christ himself. Like we saw from 1 Peter, it is to trace the life of Christ. If you're going to trace the life of Christ, one of the chief crayons you're going to have in that ham-fisted attempt is going to be the crayon marked love. And if you're trying to trace the life of Christ, but you've set the love crayon to the side, you're going to have a very macabre picture of who Christ is. It is going to be distorted. It is going to look nothing like him. The life of love, he says, is how you make a life that is a fragrant sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering, a pleasing aroma. 
Compare that to what we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, the one who gave up their life, but without love was what? Gained nothing, was worthless. He says, but the life that imitates God by loving is a life that is given as a pleasing aroma to God. Matthew chapter 5 focuses on the importance of love for imitating our Heavenly Father as well. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through, through 45. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the just, or on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Here again, we see that it is love that shows that we are children of God. Just as we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, that we are imitators of God as beloved children. When we love, here we see the same thing. It is our love that shows our imitation of God. So he'll say in verse 48 of Matthew chapter 5, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, what's he do? What is that per- perfect that he's describing? Love. This is why I say you can't, you can't talk about, well, some people say holiness is more important and some people say love is more important. Love and holiness go hand in hand. You cannot have holiness without love and you cannot have love without holiness. Your perfection comes in love. So how do you and I imitate God in his perfection? Through love. Specifically, loving our enemies, those who persecute us, even those who, as Luke will say from, and when he quotes this passage, even those who are ungrateful for the love we give them. So he says God does, even for the ungrateful. In fact, the Bible says to not love, if you don't have love, so love is, to love is to imitate God. The Bible will say if you don't have love, that is to be so unlike God that it shows you must not even know who he is. Not, you're, not, not, you're not his child. You don't even know him. You don't know him. How do you know I don't know him? Because you don't have love. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because what? God is love. Love is so central to the character of God that if you do not have love, he says, you must not have. Think of all the traits that God could have put when telling his church what they must have in order to show that they know him. Think of all the traits. And he says, if you don't have love, you do not know God because God is love. Love is so foundational to who God is, that if you don't love, you must not truly know God. Just like, just like someone can't live an unrighteous life, right? And say that they know a God who is holy in the same way. So too, someone can't live an unloving life and say they know a God who is love. It can't happen. Which is why it's not surprising that the Bible tells us that love is the goal of of Christian instruction. First Timothy chapter one, verse five, he says, the aim of our charge is love. 
that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Paul says the goal of, of our teaching, the aim of our push in preaching God's word for you, Timothy, the aim of this charge is love. To create love, love that springs from a conscience that has been washed clean, from a true faith. In other words, love springs from God's word when someone has been truly and genuinely saved. Someone who's been truly and genuinely saved, who who has a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith, right? Not a fake faith, but a sincere faith. And if that's happening, when they read God's word, one of the things that will spring from that is love. Love for God, love for others. It cannot not happen. So the more Bible you know, the more Bible you know, you're not going to go reading the Bible and start to think that love is less important. Like no one reads the Bible and goes, you know, I think people are focusing on love a little too much. I mean, I know it's repeated like a thousand times in the Bible, uh, but I really think we need to focus on this one verse over here tucked in the corner. You're not going to read more Bible and think love is less important. In fact, you'll hear the charge to love over and over in God's word that's going to that's gonna spring from the pages into your changed heart, your clean conscience, and your true faith. So if you're like, I feel like I don't love enough, you know what you need to do? Read more Bible. In fact, if you're saying I struggle with loving, maybe I struggle with loving my wife, maybe I struggle with loving the church, maybe I struggle with loving God, or I'm looking at these other things and they're not happening, I'm not excelling, I'm not disciplined, I don't have knowledge, I know I mix those two up in order, but uh, I, I don't have any of these, I'm not enduring faithfully, I'm not Godward, I'm not having brotherly affection, I'm not doing those things. Why? Well, it might be because you don't love God enough. Well, then how do I fix that? Read his word. Read more of God's word and love will spring from those pages. And I mean, you can read the first four verses of, of Second Peter here and get an infinite amount of ammunition to love God. If you just, if you just focus on those first four verses of Second Peter and see what all God has done for you, if you will drill that into your head, I guarantee you that you will love God more after you read the pages than you did before. And so if you've loved God more, you'll desire to do the things that you're going to find in verses 5 through 7. You'll desire to do those things in those lists. Love will be the thing that will hold all those together. Love, we see next, comes from God. This is why it's, we're going to see the importance of prayer, the importance of being in God's word. Because love is not something that you can create in yourself. It's not something that you and I can have on our own. The Bible tells us that God is the source of love in general, that the world wouldn't even know what love was without God. But he's also the source of love specifically in your life. We wouldn't love if God didn't love us first. Because this is why I can say love comes from God, because we wouldn't love if God didn't first love us. This is just re-quoting 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, where it says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. We love because he loved us first. His loving of us first is what enables us to love. In fact, the world only knows love from God's character and his work in the world. Otherwise, the world would know no love. 
So 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It is God's actions of love for us that show us what love is. And that is the motivation for our own love. You cannot love without the work of the gospel. Both the work of the gospel in your heart to change your dead heart and make it alive. But it is also the more you understand about the gospel that will be the seedbed, the flame that will spur your love for God and for others in your life. So you're not, if you're not centered on what God has done for you in Christ, in this is love. If you're not centered in, in Christ's work to be the propitiation for our sins, you're trying to fan love without a fuel source. Okay, If you think you can fuel love from yourself, or fuel love from some sort of pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing. It does not happen. The gospel is always the fuel for love in the believer's heart. It is the gospel that fuels our love for God, and it is the gospel that fuels our love for one another. So if you don't have a love for God and you don't have a love for one another, you can probably go back to a lack of love for the gospel. But we only love as people individually, also because of God's work in our heart. But we know that God does work this in our hearts. So if you're like, maybe I'll be one of the ones he doesn't teach to love, that doesn't happen. If you're a Christian, God works love in your heart. So we see this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, in the fruits of the Spirit. Love is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the ways you can know that you've been genuinely saved is that you will see fruit growing from this tree. And what will that tree, what will be one of the fruits on that tree? Christian love. So he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But one of the fruits that will happen is love. Love comes from God, and if you're one of God's children, he works love in our hearts. And the last thing we're going to see in understanding love is it's important to see that biblical love, that Christian love, is about action, not just feeling. This is going to be important for us, because what, what we can do in our lazy Christianity is go, yeah, I love everybody. Like, and then think that you don't, that, that love doesn't have to show itself. This is like we take on the proverbial husband with the wife, right? Like, well, you know I love you. Uh, but do you say it? I don't have to say it. Uh, I feel it. Uh, if you love other believers, if you love God and you love other Christians, it is going to be enacted in your life. It's just going to happen. So, for example, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 18. See, in, in our world, love is all about how you feel about someone, right? Well, how do you feel? It's almost purely emotional in our world. So, so I can fall out of love for you, and it's just about how I, I, how I feel in my heart. But in the Bible, real love is, is seen in action. In fact, the Bible says that a feeling that does nothing is worthless, so he says here in 1 John three eighteen, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed 
and in truth. Of course, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't love in, in word or talk. Like, you, like the Bible tells me I'm not supposed to tell you I love you. Uh, the Bible says not to love in word or talk. Uh, so I'm commanded by scripture not to love you uh, or not to say I love you. Sorry. Uh, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is don't let it just be only in word or talk. Let it be seen in your deeds. He says, and in truth. In other words, if it's true love, it will be seen in your deeds. It will be enacted in your life. And so that's why when you see what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul defines love there, it's not about how you feel about someone, is it? When it says love is, he doesn't say love is, you know, you know, getting this sort of warm fuzzy in your belly. What does he say? It's how you react to that person, how you act toward them and often react toward them. Look at, look at verses four through the first part of verse eight. Love is what? Patient and kind. These are all actions. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So to love someone isn't just to feel happy thoughts about them. It's not just about getting, like I said, warm fuzzies in your belly. To love someone is shown in your actions, in being patient with them in being kind to them and not envying the good that's in their life or boasting about the good that's come to your life. It bears whatever they do to you. It believes the best in them. It hopes for their good. It endures no matter what. That word in, endures there is the same word translated steadfastness in Second Peter. It is a love that remains under whatever they bring your way. None of those things in that list are feelings. They're all actions done and actions normally done when your feelings are hurt. If we're talking about feelings, he says love is shown when your feelings are hurt. It's being patient with someone who's done something to you to make you not want to be patient with them. It's being, when feeling warm and fuzzy about someone would be hard, that's when love is seen. It's bearing whatever they bring your way, enduring. I mean, we don't get that enough in our, in our marriage vows. I will, I promise to endure whatever you do to me. But in describing love, that's what God says. I will bear whatever you do to me. But in, in describing love, that's what God says. That's the type of love that God says is the goal of Christian instruction. The type of love that we should put on above all else. The type of love that binds everything else together in our Christian faith. So Christian, as we end this list, let me encourage you, put on love. Put on love, love that is the supreme virtue in the Christian life, love that is essential for your life, love that is an imitation of our Father, love that is the goal of Scripture knowledge, love that comes from God, love that is done, not just felt, 
So here we are at the end of this list, and we end with this sort of ultimate trait. Pursue love. Because if you don't have love, none of the rest of this list matters. In fact, if you don't have love, you won't have anything else on this list. Let's pray.